Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. News Radio 840 WHAS welcomes you to Jim Strader Outdoors, the area's leading authority on hunting and fishing. Jim Strader Outdoors is brought to you by Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty. For the outdoor home of your dreams, call Paul Thomas at 270-524-1980. Gary Roman's Firearm Service Center. Linden Animal Clinic, your pet's best friend. Sportsman's Taxidermy. Visit them at sportsmanstaxidermy.com. A.N. Roth Heating and Cooling, a family-owned business with over 100 years' experience in the Louisville area. Wildlife Habitat Solutions. Check Jim and his team on Facebook at Wildlife Habitat Solutions. And SMI Marine, getting your boat back on the water in no time. To join in on the conversation, call us at 571-8484 inside Louisville, 1-800-444-8484 outside of the metro, and pound 840 for Verizon wireless callers. Now, sit back and relax and enjoy the next two hours of Jim Strader Outdoors. We came from the West Virginia coal mines and the Rocky Mountains and the Western Sky. I got a shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive, and a country boy can survive. We can skin a buck. Run a trot line and a country boy can survive. Country folks can survive. Good evening, everybody. Jim Strader in the studio and glad to be back. Aboard with you folks, we got a little different type of show tonight. It's open lines tonight. That's the main thing I want to impart to you. We're going to talk about what you want to talk about, but I'm going to mention some wildlife notes here starting off the program, and then I'm going to talk about a trip down memory lane, and I've got some questions that I want you folks to answer tonight, if you will. And I'm going to give the numbers here at the head of the program, so that way you'll know how to reach us to have your comments about what we're talking about. Those numbers, as usual, are 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. I am sure, without a doubt, the biggest thing on people's minds right now is probably the weather. We have been through one of the worst sieges of wet weather in recorded history. I was kidding a friend of mine the other day. They said, man, I've never seen so much rain. Have you, Jim? I said, nope. Neither has anybody else that uh, from these parts. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, we set an all-time record for last year, and we're starting out 2019 in about the same kind of category. So uh, we're up against it. It continues. 
I don't know if you were out and about last night. Uh, I was out to dinner with some friends from out of town, and I got to tell you, it was uh, really, really raining. (laughs) Uh, And in regard to that, today was really, really windy, which I'm sure is no revelation to anybody listening to the program. If you put your nose past past your front door, you know what I'm talking about here. So um, we are just continuing to be hit by that stuff. But there's changes in the wind, if you will, that are coming pretty rapidly. Um, I'm going to talk first about flooding conditions because the amount of water we've had here in the last week or so has got things just raging Uh from personal observation, the Nolan River is way out of its banks and rolling. The Green River is. The Barren River is. Cumberland River is so high that it, the area there at Cumberland Falls is almost flush with the river itself. Um, and it's that way just all across the Commonwealth. Of course, the, the Ohio River is out of its banks and swelling rapidly and will continue to do so as these tributaries continue to dump water into it. And that's going to continue unabated for some time. There's uh, folks that I know over in southern Indiana, for example, who have bottomlands uh, in streams that feed the Ohio River, and they say their their creeks are up 10, 20, 30 feet and, and rising. So uh, it's been a very, very unusual amount of weather here all the way across the board. Uh, to that point, if you hunt a lot, which of course I do, uh, I'm sure you were frustrated by this season's weather patterns, especially if you were a small game hunter. Uh, so many days were rained out, super windy. We went through a really harsh cold spell there for about a week or so where temperatures barely reached 20 degrees. It's just been a, a, a tough time really to be outdoors and and hopefully there's better things to come. Uh, our reservoirs are going to be really high for a while. The good news is if you took a look at this wind, it's out of the west. If you paid attention to this wind, you know, being a deer hunter and, and a guy that hunts dogs a lot, I pay attention to the wind on a daily basis because it dictates behavior and dog's ability to locate game and what have you. We've had a lot of easterly, southeasterly, and north winds uh, throughout the fall and winter period this year. Southeast winds are pretty unusual. We don't see them much, but last couple of years we've had a good number of them, and this has contributed in its own way to all this rain that we've had. The good news is we're at the period of the year, hopefully, as we approach March, when winds turn to the west. And when they turn to the west, together with the amount of increasing sunlight that we're getting, you know, I'm looking at the studio window here, and the sun's still well up above the horizon, and that wasn't the case weeks ago. As we know, we increase daylight hours rapidly uh, after the winter solstice period, and we're moving forward, so... Hopefully that's going to bring better weather. A lot of this has created uh, some conditions that are very unusual in some ways, one of which is 
obviously these uh, streams and tributaries and lakes are on the rise with that. Oftentimes, game fish and, and fish like catfish and carp and what have you uh, move up into those tributaries. It's a time when they can move. The water's still a bit cold for huge movements of those fish into those areas, but it's it's going to come pretty rapidly now. And uh, we've got a, a warm-up coming this week, some sunlight for a change. Thank goodness the sun finally popped out this afternoon. So coming back from break, I'm going to talk about some of my observations that are pretty unusual for this time of year, for February certainly. And I'm going to take you back in time on observations over the last couple of weeks because that's when my sightings started. And I want to hear about what you've been seeing that either corresponds or, or perhaps conflicts with what I saw. So again, the numbers tonight, 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. Open lines. We want to hear from you. If you got something on your mind, we'd love to to hear from you, and I'll do my level best to answer any questions you've got. This first break of the program is brought to you by SMI Marine, 11400 Westport Road, just north of the Gene Snyder. All kind of boats on sale. Tim Addington and his staff are there and ready to help you get your boat ready for spring. Let's face it, with March running at us, spring's not very far away. You want to be ready when the fish are ready. Go see them. They'll take great care of you. And remember, you never get soaked by my friends at SMI. Welcome back to Jim Strader Outdoors. The numbers tonight on open lines, 571-8484 and 1-800-444-8484. And uh, we're going to Jack in Highview. Jack, you're first up tonight. What's on your mind, partner? Well, good afternoon, Jim. I'm a long-time listener, and I love your show. Well, thank you very much. I love having you. <laughs> Yeah, so my question to you is, these uh, apacas being attacked here in Louisville, and some people say they're apaca coyotes, some people say they're dogs. Uh, me and you are both hunters. I have run into a lot of coyotes in my day in the woods, and I have never been attacked. I ain't saying I could be, but I don't think a wild animal would kill that many and not eat none. I just want to listen to your comments, and I'm going to hang up and listen to the rest of the show. Okay, thank you, Jack. Uh, several people have posed that question to me, and I don't have a definitive answer, and, and I'll, I'll explain to you why. Number one, I'm real big on personal observation by myself on a situation like that to determine it. Now, there's lots of trappers out there who would have been able to identify the tracks that those animals left. By that, I mean the coyotes or the dogs to have ascertained as best they could if the tracks were present, which they certainly should have been, because obviously there was a heck of a fight going on there, uh, whether they were the tracks of coyotes or domestic dogs. That would have been number one for me. Uh, and I don't have that information. So secondarily, 
generally speaking, to your point, coyotes, when they kill, especially if it's a pack of coyotes, they will, upon doing the kill, start to consume or, or definitely consume that animal. You know, once they take it down, their conservation of energy is such that their immediate responsibility or their immediate instinct is, I've got to feed myself. I've just been through a big fight. I've got food on the ground. Let's eat. And then they'd go to the next animal. So for coyotes to go animal after animal, killing them, is a bit of a stretch in my mind uh, for the reasons I just mentioned. Secondarily, there could have been perhaps uh, some koi dogs, dogs that were part coyote, part dog, in a pack. Uh, that's very possible, especially in that urban type of environment. And those animals are very vicious and have been known to engage in attacks like that because they have the lack of fear of man of a wild coyote, body size increase from the dog uh, heritage, if you will, and they're, in many cases, more vicious than either side. There's a possibility. Um, Thirdly, it could have been a situation where they did go in a killing frenzy. Uh, I'm leaning towards, just from logic, either coy dog mix or domestic dog. Because, again, a coyote, a full-blooded coyote, a pack of coyotes would feed immediately. That's their instinct. That's their nature. It's against their nature to, you know, continue to put themselves in harm's way from kicking hooves and and maybe the landowner coming out the door, you know, whatever the case may be, their instinct is to kill and eat and move on. So I'm leaning toward, but cannot say definitively, domestic dogs. Uh, and by domestic dogs, they could have been feral dogs. By that I mean, you know, a, a, a breed of dog that has uh, run wild, so to speak. Feral dogs are, are bad about that. They're notorious for doing that around calving operations, for example, where where uh, cattle are, are beginning to calve. Um, sheep, they're they're well known to kill sheep. They get into a killing frenzy when they get around sheep because sheep are, excuse the pun, sheepish. You know, they're not prone to fight back. Now, alpacas are. Uh, and alpacas are a big enough animal it would be a handful for a, a coyote. You know, the average coyote doesn't tip the scales at more than 30-some-odd pounds. So you can see where even if there was four or five of them to kill that number of animals in that fashion would just be very uncharacteristic in my opinion. So uh, that's my opinion for what it's worth. Again, I wish there had been some really – experienced trappers brought into that situation to observe the tracks because those folks are trained to to know what those tracks reveal. To give you an example, a coyote's front feet, their front paws are larger than their rear feet, and it's because 
of the amount of digging they do to dig out rodents and and the the pounding they those front legs take when they run. If you've ever watched a cow run, they they look light in the back end. Their their back end almost drifts as they run. Those front feet are taking the pounding, and because of that, those muscles and ligaments and tendons in the front feet are larger, grow a larger foot, if you will, which leaves a larger print on those front feet. So uh, that's my opinion, but that's all it is is an opinion. Really, I should say that's my guess to be really accurate about it, but I'll pretty well stand behind it. If I'll put it to you this way. If I was forced to bet, I'd bet on it was dogs that killed them. So that's the bottom line. Appreciate the question. Again, it was a pretty hot topic amongst a bunch of outdoorsmen I've been around the last several days, and there's my best shot at it. Let's go to Tom. He's calling from Lexington. Yes, Tom, you're up. Hey, uh, Jim, I thoroughly enjoy your show when I'm able to listen to it. And uh, I was down in uh, Laurel County, Pulaski County today, and uh, Route 192 crosses the Rock Castle River down there. And it was as high, I've been going down there for 50 years, and it was as high by twice as I've ever seen it. Uh, Just the amount of water that, I don't know that anybody's ever seen this much water in these rivers and and streams. Well, we're not at any that I know of record-breaking levels yet. However, a lot of it hadn't been measured yet. It's still rising, so... I'm, I can't say that I'm surprised at what you saw, um, especially with the way the Rock Castle River, it, you know, it's a little bit different type of river than, say, the Kentucky or the Ohio. Or I mean, you know this without me telling you. Uh, it runs through some very steep country and uh, doesn't tend to spread out in a lot of places the way some of these other rivers do. But uh, we've had a lot of rain, and it's showing. I mean, it's it's just a... Very, very unique situation. Tell me again, you were in which county? Uh, right at crossing from Laurel into Pulaski. Okay. Right. It's the upper part of the, well, it's the lower Rockcastle River uh, right as it starts to flow into Lake Cumberland. Yes, sir. Well, I cannot imagine what it looks like where the Rockcastle and the Cumberland meet right now. <laughs> I tell you, because... Those drainages have just been pounded. And, of course, we've got the same thing over in this end of the state. Uh, Some friends of mine that were visiting me over the weekend traveled back to Atlanta this afternoon. And when they crossed the Barren and the Green and the Nolan River, they said they couldn't believe how those bottoms were flooded off. You know, when you go down I-65 there, um, they're just swollen and spreading everywhere. And, again... Uh, that's not going to abate for a while. You know, that, that water is yeah. still coming out of these secondary tributaries and, and flooding those drainages. So it's it's been uh, it's been quite a spectacle. I'll put it that way, Tom. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate the report. I love those on-site observations, and uh, we'll see what – it very well may break some records on some of these rivers. I don't know yet, but I'm sure keeping an eye on it, and I appreciate your observation, sir. You're welcome. All right, Tom. Thanks for calling. All right, folks, we got to go to break. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty. Paul Thomas, the broker there, has all kind of wildlife properties and farms for sale. Check them out. MOP 
HARTRealty.com. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. Again, open lines tonight. You want to talk about what you want to talk about? I'll answer your questions as best that I can. The numbers, 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. And let's go to Ken, who's calling from J-Town. Yes, Ken, you're aboard. Uh, Jim, you were talking about um, coyotes, and I thought about Ron Hastings. When when will he be on again? What a great show uh, he was. Uh, he was actually on with us a couple of weeks ago. I missed it. Sorry. That's one of the few shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's the good news, Ken. All you got to do is go to Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, just like it sounds, Spreaker.com. Go to their podcast uh, downloads and put in Jim Strader Outdoors, and you can research that and sit there and listen to it on your computer or iPad or whatever you choose to do at your pleasure. Okay. Is it coyotes or is it coyotes? It's pronounced both ways. I call them coyotes. That's kind of the, you know, common way of saying it. But uh, a lot of people call them coyotes, too. It just, I guess, depends on your flavor. I, um, a coyote, to me, sounds a little softer, and I'll be honest about it, I don't have a soft place in my heart for coyotes. <laughs> my question is about squirrels. When you harvest one, how soon does it have to be field-dressed and put in a cooler or taken back home to the fridge? All right. Let's say, let's say it's 80, 85 degrees. Uh, how soon do I need to do something with that squirrel? Okay. that's uh, That was going to be my question to you, so I'm glad you fleshed that out. In hot weather like that, which we have many, many times uh, in the early squirrel season, certainly the spring and early fall season, as you know, August is usually hot as blazes, and early September can be too, and that's what we like to refer to as hickory season because they're cutting uh, pig nut and uh, shagbark hickory at that period. Uh, I like to, to take the intros out as soon as I possibly can, I don't normally do it while I'm hunting. Uh, no problem doing that, but normally what I'll try to do, my hunt usually ends if it's a morning hunt around 10, 30, 11 o'clock because it's getting hot and they're becoming less and less active. And by the time I either A, arrive at the vehicle, or B, get home, if I'm not traveling real far, I take the intros out right away because they will start to spoil pretty rapidly, especially if, if there's any uh, leakage from the entrails. In other words, if they're gut shot or, or if you're using a shotgun, you know, where you're obviously may puncture the entrails, uh, that's that's the key to that. In the winter squirrel season and or late fall, uh, pretty much the same thing. If it's uh, very cool out, you could, you know, hunt in the morning and wait till that evening to do it, but... During those hot weather months, it's best to get the intros out just as soon as you possibly can to avoid any spoilage. So that's called field dressing. So after they're gutted or field dressed, <clears throat> when do they have to be on ice? Uh, that's an indeterminate amount of time, certainly by that, that evening. But once yeah. the guts are out, the spoilage factor is way, way down. Uh, it takes some time for the bacteria to to travel through the uh, tendons and ligaments into the meat. Uh, 
And, and if you dropped them in a, in pond water or creek water, that probably would not help much. Well, if it were cool water, it, it definitely could. Anything with any type of meat like that, anything that you can do to cool it is an asset. Uh, anything you can do to remove the entrails, which on most critters, whether you're talking about deer or coon or squirrel or rabbit, whatever you want to talk about, their entrails are a huge percentage of their body mass. And as such, number one, it holds in the heat, but number two, that's where the bacterial spoilage uh, generally starts. So that would be my advice about that if, if I'm being clear. Very good. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir, Ken. I appreciate it very much. You know, I get asked that a lot. Uh, deer, for example, or a critter where that is really, really crucial, uh, especially during the early hot parts of the season. For example, the uh, September period, in early October period, if it's warm out and it's warm overnight and you have uh, failed to retrieve your deer as a result of a errant shot or perhaps the deer, you know, with archery equipment ran off into high weeds where it was difficult to track it or maybe it started raining at the time you shot it, if there is any uh, puncture of the entrails, and it's warm overnight, and by warm I mean, you know, 60s or, or beyond, there is a very good chance by the time you retrieve that deer the next day, especially if it's up late in the morning, that you will have some meat spoilage, especially in the area with a fairly large-sized deer uh, between their legs because those two hams meet and hold that heat in so much, and the bottom part of the gut, of course, is adjacent to it. So uh, there's a lot of factors there, but the best bet on all those type of things is get the entrails out as soon as you comfortably can and then either quarter the animal uh, and put it on ice or in the case of squirrels and rabbits, once you get the entrails out, you can put them in a refrigerator uh, for a couple of days if you if you care to to actually age them but you can't get away with that if the entrails are still in them because what they've eaten becomes a factor the amount of urine in their bladder uh, becomes a factor it starts to sour so uh, proper field care of meat especially animals like big animals like deer and to a lesser extent small game are critical to a good game dinner. Uh, I can't tell you how many folks that I know that were soured, if you will, or, or turned against wild game refer to in quotes, the gamey taste they experienced. And most of the time when I get to the end of the trail on conversation about what happened, I find that the animals weren't cared for properly in, in the field dressing portion uh, of the harvest, and you see why. I mean, you just can't leave those type of critters lay and allow any bacterial action and spoilage to occur uh, with the entrails still in them. So that's a word to the wise that I hope is sufficient. I'm going to go to early break here uh, a few minutes early because i got some things I want to 
talk about that I've observed lately, and I hope it raises some questions in your all's minds, and, and I want you to share your observations with me as well. The number is 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. This break is presented by my friends at SMI Marine. Tim Addington and his staff are ready, willing, and able to get you ready for the spring fishing season and boating season, and they've got boats for sale, electronics for sale, and they'll do a great job fixing you up. Remember, you never get soaked by my friends at SMI. Welcome back to Jim Strader Outdoors. Again, open lines tonight, folks. I want to talk about what you have on your mind, the numbers, 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. In that regard, let's go to Matthew, who's calling from Nelson County. Yes, Matthew, you're up. Hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. I hope you're doing well. Uh, yes, yeah, sir. Good to hear from you. Hey, man, I wanted to get your feedback on uh, what you think's going on with the elk program down there in eastern Kentucky. Um uh, this here, this last season, I got to be mutual friends with a couple of different guides down there and uh, got their feedback on on what was really going on down there other than what they're depicting um, through the department there in Frankfurt. And uh didn't know if you had heard anything about that and what you, what you wanted to weigh in on. Well, I've heard a lot about it as well, but I'd like to start out with can you tell me who those guides were and what their thoughts were? Well, I, I don't want to put their names out there um just from what i'll what i'll tell you about their thoughts but um they're they're the what the department's doing is not what they say they're doing and uh they're taking all these elk and taking truckloads out uh weekly and and relocating them up into pennsylvania as you probably know and um the elk population is taking a huge hit down there and it's it's, it's taking a hit on to their livelihoods and the livelihoods of their family and um I mean, it's big. It's a big deal, and for the for the department to be saying that they're just flourishing and um, you know we're doing great things, I, I don't think that's really what's going on. Okay, well, I can tell you what I've heard from uh, guides down in the area and from uh, folks that really care about the elk program, that monitor the elk on a daily basis. Uh, some of them are wildlife photographers that have kept up with elk, uh, you know, ever since they were stocked. And right. uh, I've got reports, you know, from just all manner of people. And what I will tell you is everyone has a big concern about the number of elk. Everyone that I just mentioned, almost to a man or a woman, uh, has big concerns. They do not believe we've got anywhere near Ten to 11,000 elk. It begs a question why we went from uh, 1,000 elk tags available to the sportsmen down to 500 and some odd now. Uh, why are they doing that if we got as many elk as they say? Correct. Correct. I'm, I'm uh, they, on the same boat, and I'm glad, I'm glad you've heard the same thing. Well, and we are shipping elk to uh, other states. That was an obligation that uh, we entered into. Wisconsin being one, Pennsylvania, Missouri. Uh, there's been shipments of elk. And from reports that I get, unconfirmed, but I believe they're 
pretty credible. There's been a number of elk die during either transport or uh, time spent in the holding pens. And the poaching of elk has been a problem. And so there's there's lots of problems with that. And I'm going to be uh, doing some in, further investigations into what's going on there. But I'll just put it to you this way. Common sense will tell you that if everyone in the region is not seeing the elk they had been seeing, if the tag numbers have declined, if they're trapping elk and taking them out of state, if the guides uh, who you know have their livelihood connected with this are not seeing the animals, and additionally, if animals are being transferred out of, and this one's a real bone of contention for me, as you know, uh, they just took fish trap and Paul uh, Van Boven areas, which contained a huge component of our elk, and started trapping elk there, translocating them, excuse me, to the Appalachian Wildlife Center. You know, a lot of things just aren't adding up here, and so. You know, common sense tells me that there's problems and it's very difficult to get your head around it. But I do have some investigative work underway as we speak, and I will be reporting on it here in the near future. Awesome. I appreciate that. I I just don't understand, um, as far as coming from Frankfurt, what they get out of uh, giving out false information. I'm all for giving you know, other states the opportunity to establish an elk herd, but I'd like to have the one that we started, you know, up and healthy before we go about doing that. Well, one of the things that I have concerns, big, huge concerns about, is how we're taking elk hunting areas away from the sportsmen and sportswomen of the Commonwealth who paid to stock them, manage them, protect them. You know, conservation officers had to protect them. Uh, biologists had to ship them. There's all kind of things there where the sporting public, if you will, bellied up to the bar, spent their money, and had what I consider very realistic expectations of what was supposed to happen. Somewhere along the road here, the wheels have come off, and now we just lost 17,000 acres of elk hunting areas, which... I'm being told by the locals and by folks that are in a position to know had some of the better numbers of elk in the entire elk unit, and now we can't hunt them. And they're going to be used for elk viewing areas for tourism purposes. Sorry, I'm choking on that. I don't like it. I think it's a bad precedent. And uh, I'll be speaking to that issue and and some of the things that have gone on with that here in, in the very near future, Matthew. Yes, sir. Now, it, 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 keep up the good work, buddy. Well, let me ask you this. Does what I'm saying mirror what you heard from these folks? Yes, and, and at, early on in the conversation, I didn't know if that was going to be the case. But, um, yeah, I mean, you're you're exactly what I and, – and I got to see a lot of the inside um, down there, I mean, with some guys that have been doing, the, you know, the, the whole guide thing and um, since the elk herd got established. And – um, a lot of the inside works of it, and, and it's. 
I, I don't even know. I, it makes me so mad that we pour money. You know, I love I love habitat establishment and all that, but we pour all this money in there and we don't know where it goes. The transparency, there is no transparency, um, and I would like to see that more. Just like um, all this, they're harvesting all this timber and stuff all off of our state parks and. Where does that does that money go back into the habitat? You know, where does that money go that they're making? So, you know, I, I just don't I don't understand the the department not having any transparency on the on the money issue and um, the establishment of of the habitat. Well, we know from the state auditor's report there's problems with the money. What you're mentioning about the timber is a an issue and is a problem. And your point about transparency is spot on. There's been a sore lack of it. Accountability's been an issue. And these things, I don't know where the end game is on all that, but I, I can tell you one thing. I've talked to, to outdoor folks all across the Commonwealth, and they're mad. You know, they know things have not been handled right. They've seen these scandals erupt one after another. They've seen the departure of of commissioners one after another and the state auditor, yeah, we report, won't. you know, it's, it's, it's just not good. It's not good. And then yeah. on the heels of that, we we won't, uh, we're losing thousands we acres to the, hunting. So commissioner, uh, all the, uh, scandal around the, the new commissioner, uh, rich up there. What do I think of it? No, I said, we won't mention that. I don't, oh. that's a rabbit hole that, um, I don't know if we have enough time to talk about. Well, probably not tonight, but uh, we'll keep you abreast of things best we can, Matthew, okay? Yes, sir, Jim. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work, buddy. All right. Thank you for calling. Unfortunately, those are things that I am responsible for reporting on. A lot of them, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I almost hate talking about it. It gives me a headache. A lot of it, quite frankly, angers me for the outdoor folks' sake and – We'll have some commentary and our future reporting on that. So I appreciate you calling. we got to go to break here. The break is presented by Moss Oak Properties, Hart Realty. Paul Thomas is the broker. Check him out, M-O-P-H-A-R-T-Realty.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.